and I will point to the spot every day. Ask anybody that hunts with me. I'll point to the spot where they're going to light, and not every time, but about eight to nine times out of ten, I'm pretty well on it hmm. where they're going to light. And what that does is that gets them within 10 yards to 15 yards of us, and that makes for an easy shot. When they're that close and they're five foot off the water, you don't have to rush that shot. You can get up and take your time and put it on that little green head and let him have it. <laughs> yeah, because it takes them a little time if they know something's wrong to get back the speed and the, the direction to start getting out of there. So you do have some time on that. That's right. Not only that, you're close enough to see those little black beady eyes when they bug out and think, uh-oh, I have messed up. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> Camel boots on my feet, bow in my hand, walking in the early dawn. Welcome to American Roots Outdoors with Alex Rutledge. This is Wayne Locke, Mike Crace. Um, Mike is not with us this week uh, due to the passing of his mother. And then uh, Alex, of course, he's out of town. So uh, he's busy working, making some money for the family. And uh, hopefully he can uh, buy me some trail cameras. He did not get me a Christmas present trail camera this year. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bug him about that, see if he can pass on a trail cam to me, because uh, I need another wise eye. Can never have enough of those. But uh, we're going to be uh, having Thomas Moore join us for part two from last week on how to become a waterfowl hunter. And if you missed part one last week, guys, just tune in to the uh, podcast. You can catch part one to roll right into it. Uh, Thomas will be joining us here in a second. But before Thomas calls in and joins us, uh, we got some uh, pretty exciting news coming out of uh, MDC. If you are a coyote hunter on some changes this year. And that is from February 1st through March 31st, you're going to be able to use lights, night vision, and infrared. And, uh, folks, if you haven't tried that and you've been itching to, now's your opportunity to. And that was a big discussion over the last couple of years here, you know, because uh, Missouri was probably one of the later states to join into this. There's a lot of other states that have had it. But uh, this is definitely one of the later ones uh, that we got into it. But there's a lot of reasons behind it. Uh, tradition is one. Uh, a lot of concerns with uh, Missouri being such a big deer state. Uh, there's a lot of concerns that people would uh, be using it for deer hunting and that. And so when MDC met, that's one of the things they talked about, uh, they talked to the public about, and that is, you know, when's the best time, what effects will it have, what's going to keep people out of trouble. Um, and this is going to be it. Now, if you try to carry any of those things with you during out of those uh, dates of February 1st to March 31st, you are breaking the law. It has been changed to a possession, not uh, not doesn't have to be necessarily on your rifle. If you are in possession of any of those things outside of those dates, you are breaking the law. So please remember to remove them after March 31st out of your truck, out of your case, out of your pockets, whatever you had them in, get them out. Uh, but um one of the things that really those reasons those dates were picked is because it, it doesn't uh, coincide with some of the other uh, hunting uh, methods that people are using, like for bobcat and fox. Those seasons are closed, so you don't have to worry about uh, that. They, they know you're specifically going after coyote. Deer season's closed. Turkey season obviously is uh, you know not opened up yet, so you're not going to be out there saying, oh, you know, you know, you're out there shooting deer, and you're saying, oh no, I'm just out here coyote hunting doesn't work because it's not deer season either, folks. So don't be out there using that excuse. Uh, so that's that's some exciting news. I know uh, Eddie Owens, who we've had on before, we're going to get him back on and a couple other uh, 
predator hunters that we have lined up for this year. We're going to get on and we're going to be talking about that new rule change because I'm sure Eddie and his wife are excited about it. Uh, they like going out in the evenings and early mornings anyway, but now this kind of extends, I guess, in a way their season and they're going to be able to go all night long now so they can make a, uh, Oh, uh, an, an evening hunting moon out of it. <laughs> you know, so, but uh, we'll get Eddie back on there, get his opinion. Uh, we're going to get uh, MDC on, uh, somebody from the uh, their first specialist uh, on here we're looking at getting, and to have them discuss this too. So if you guys got any uh, questions about the new rule changes and that, and do you'd like us to ask, uh, shoot them to us on our Facebook page. Uh, if you are a podcast listener or a radio listener, uh, we have a new Facebook page that I want you to go to so we can communicate with each other. Uh, it's American Roots Outdoors Podcast. That's the Facebook page. Go to there. It's just an interaction between listeners and us. So you can ask us questions. We can bring those questions to the uh, radio station here and answer them on the air. We got some great questions that have been asked. Um, already coming in for turkey season we're going to hold off on those until turkey season gets a little closer but if you got any questions about anything second amendment stuff turkey deer you name it ask us on that page uh, it's a great interaction page we just started it last week so head on over and uh, make sure you show up and subscribe to it and again head over to the podcast and subscribe to that too but uh one of the things that uh, we're going to be heading when uh, thomas calls in that we're going to talk about uh, this week here, so you guys have an idea what's going on, is we're going to be talking about boat versus waders. Now, Thomas, being in Kentucky there, he uses uh, boats. I, being from Ohio, did not have access to a boat, so all my hunting was done with waders. So you're going to hear some comparison to that. We're going to be talking about guns and ammo, decoys, everything you need to get started, everything you think you're going to need to get your kids into it. If you are a lady or a guy or a child that's thinking about getting into this sport, it is an addictive sport. It's one of the few animals that, uh, other than turkey and elk, here in the United States that you can actually talk to, and they're going to talk back to you. You can actually communicate. And as Alex always says, you hold a conversation with them. You're not just yelling at them. Uh, you can actually hold a conversation with them. Uh, Thomas, last week, man, that what an episode that was where he came in and he did some calling and taught us uh, some great techniques on feeding patterns and feeding calls and different calls to use for different ducks. Uh, he even started uh, cranking out his uh, goose call with his mouth. And, uh, man, I, I wish I had that talent that that kid has. It's like Alex doing his turkey calls. He doesn't need a call sometimes. He just uses his mouth, and it's great to close the deal on stuff. So just stay tuned, and we're going to be having Thomas Moore on the phone here in a second when we get back from commercial break. And you're listening to American Roots Outdoors with Alex Rutledge, Mike Crace, and Wayne Locke. This is Brenda Valentine, and you're listening to American Roots Outdoors with Alex Rutledge and friends. Wishing on some love. I've been on a big boy. Redbone, what would you say if I could tell you that you could kill a buck on a certain day? I would say you're crazy. There's no way to predict how the bucks are going to move. Well, you're wrong. There's a new camera out called Wise Eye Technologies. These guys can predict the actual deer movement exact time that a deer is going to come through. Really? Wise Eye Technology? This camera has five megapixel pictures, has a GPS system built inside, and it's an experience using this camera. It collects data and tells you the movement, wind direction, everything. On a camera? On a camera. WiseEyeTechnologies.com. And how do I find out more information about these guys? You go to WiseEyeSmartCam.com. I'm using them. You should, too. Make your hunt easier. Use WiseEye. Big old hill. Year after year. Got my hunting gear. 
Hornady presents. Welcome back to American Roots Outdoors. This is Wayne Locke. I'm in the uh, studio here with Thomas Moore from Milburn, Kentucky, ARO's own uh, Thomas. So, Thomas, last week we had touched base about some duck calling, and, uh, man, you blown people away on that. There was all kinds of comments on Facebook and that about your duck calling and said that they learned a lot. And I haven't had a couple people send me personal messages saying that they may just take that duck call that you were doing, put it into a tape, and play it out out of a speaker. <laughs> <laughs> not sure how legal that is in some places, but... Uh, it's not. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I thought. I said, you better just double-check on that. I don't know what state they were sending me these messages from, but I'm pretty sure that's not legal pretty much anywhere. So, um, no. But, yeah, I tell you, when you're good, you're good. And people, I, like I told people, it's a great thing about the podcast and that is, you know, you can have that to listen to and you can try to mimic it and have your kids listen to it and they can mimic it and stuff like that. And um, I'm sure you probably got a lot of feedback, too, from last week. Yeah, I've had a lot of comments on <clears throat> stuff that I've shared and saying it seemed to be all positive. Yeah, and I know, I know people are looking forward to this segment here, too, because we're going to get into some stuff that we did not have time to touch base. And I'm not even sure we're going to have time this week. I mean, we really could probably roll this into a three- and four-segment thing. But, I mean, duck hunting is such a uh, big sport. People like, uh, you know, that are just coming up into this and that, there's so much they want to absorb. And there's just generally just not enough time to do it. So I've always said if you can hook up with somebody that's already done it, that's the way to go. Because uh, from personal experience, I first time I duck hunted, I had no clue what I was doing. My family didn't hunt uh, in Ohio there, so I was a self-taught hunter all the way around. And uh, I, I went always out duck- said that yeah. waterfowl hunting and turkey hunting, you should have to go through an apprenticeship before they turn you loose. Couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more because I it was a, I went out for a whole year and shot at a whole lot of ducks and hit no ducks. And my second year, I finally got one duck, and I thought I was king of the mountain that year. But I did find out something right. after my second year. I ran into some other people that were duck hunting. And, uh, you know, there's something you said last week that uh, they told me, and that is apparently you're supposed to put this stuff on your face so it's not shiny. Yeah, I was going out with no camo on my face. had no clue why I couldn't get a duck to come in. But, uh, hey, you know, I was 16 years old learning the hard way, you know, when you're self-taught. And there was no YouTube back in them days either, not to date myself, but... So, yeah, we usually wear face masks. The kids like to put the paint on because it makes them feel cool, I guess. But <laughs> me personally, I don't like trying to clean all that mess off. So I've got an old face mask in my blind bag that I've had for uh, probably 20 years. Okay. Yeah, baby wipes. That's, that's, what, that's I what I use. what I use. Just like turkey hunting, just a face mask. Just something to kill the shine. Right. Of course, right. as we get older, we get facial hair. <laughs> and that helps a little. That's where a lot of those guys have beards is to, to kill the shine of their face more so than to keep you warm. Right. Hey, you know, last week we talked about location. You were talking about the importance of location. Sometimes that, that's even more important than calling and calling techniques. Because if you're, you'd be the best caller in the world, but if you're in a spot where there's no ducks coming, you're not going to get a shot off. So you just kind of pretty much wasted, you know, eight hours of your day. Uh, but yeah, you I, might as well be hunting dinosaurs. Yeah, exactly. What I've said. If yep. No ducks. You might as well be hunting dinosaurs. Right. Now, I, I do have a question. And actually, it's not even a question for me. It's a question from one of our listeners. And that was when you look at locations, do you, judge the location you're going not only by are there ducks there but are you allowed to have a boat or if it's waiter only you know oh, absolutely i mean that that determines the game plan for the next day first of all we got to find the ducks mm-hmm. once we find the ducks we got to figure out what we got to do to get in there and get set up if it's legal to take a boat do i need to take my big river boat or do i need to take a mud motor or are we going to have to wait off in there all of those are determining factors of how hard you're fixing to have to put out and what time you got to set the alarm clock for. When you're doing your your boat launching and that, are you carrying? Like you say, let's look at your smaller boat. Are you 
one of those guys that have your smaller boat where it's got you know the back ends on wheels and you and the boys are hauling it over to the edge of the the pond there and putting it in or the the creek or whatever or are you going to like actual boat launching ramps and you know working your way over well i i launch my boat in some pretty sketchy stuff i mean i've been known to use a tractor to launch my boat but i've got <laughs> a a 16 foot uh mud boat and you're not going to pack it. It's too heavy. And then, of course, I've got that bigger river boat with a hard line built on it that we can put in bigger bodies of water. But, no, uh, I mean, if it's in a little spot that you need to wade, sometimes we'll take a small John boat, something like what you're talking about. We'll yeah. pack it in there, and we'll more or less throw all of our equipment in it and then drag it alongside us for something to kind of hold on to. That way, if you step in a beaver run or get tripped up on a stump, you kind of got something to save you from getting wet. Good point. Good point. And, and that actually goes to another question that we had asked, and that is, do you wear and do you make your kids wear life jackets when you're, you know, going out and getting the ducks and wading in and, you know, bringing them back to you? Or is, is it that, hey, you know, you're only in knee-deep stuff, so you really don't have to worry about it? If if we're on, like we're hunting out of the mud boat and it's only knee-deep stuff, I won't make, I'll make them wear it always if we're in motion. Mm-hmm. In the state of Kentucky, it's a law. Anybody under the age of 12, if the boat is in motion, they have to have on a life preserver. Okay. And so they're uh, always wearing one if the boat is in motion. But I don't make them wear it when we're sitting and we're hunting and we're shooting because that's just too much going on. It's hard enough for them kids to shoulder a gun a lot of times with all those clothes on, and then you throw a life preserver in there on there too, and it's just... It's too much. Okay. But we do a lot of hunting on the river and the backwater of the river, and, and they got their life jacket on. <clears throat> excuse me. As soon as they get out of the truck, they've got their life jacket on before they ever set foot in the boat. Okay. Well, that's good to know. And, and do you guys, like, do you have, like, throw uh, buoys or anything that you keep in your blind in that? So if, you know, one of the kids take a spill, you have something to throw out right to them right away? or? Yes. <clears throat> that's also a law in Kentucky. I think it's anything over 16 foot requires a throwable flotation device. And we keep it, it's like a, a boat seat, seat cushion, and it also doubles as a, as a flotation device. We always keep one of those handy, too. That way, if something was to happen, you could throw it to one of them. Right, because that's always a big concern. It's something that a lot of times just doesn't get talked about enough, and that's the safety of what you're actually hunting for, whether it be tree stand Let's, safety or, you know, when you're turkey hunting. Something else know? that I've explained to my kids is if something was to happen and we're in that boat or you're waiting and you get underwater and you can't manage to get back up, remember to try to stay calm and get the straps off your waders and get your waders off. Right. I talk to them about that all the time. That's never had to happen, but I feel like I've drilled it in their head enough that if it did happen, that would be the first thing that came to mind. If this boat turns over, these waders have got to come off if they're pulling me down. Oh, yeah, because that, that's exactly what it's going to do. It's just going to be like a vacuum and just suck you right down under the water. you got to be able to get those shoulder right. straps off quick. So that actually is going to lead me into the, the next thing, and that is waders. Now, being uh, in Ohio, we, you know, I had to have some pretty durable and cold-weather uh, waders in that, and then I know other people who hunt, you know, in areas where it doesn't quite get as cold, like Mississippi, things like that. They're using different ones. But let's when we get back from break, let's touch base on waders and what you're using. We'll compare it to what I was having to use up there in Ohio when it was, you know, 20 below zero. Uh, but, hey, everybody, you'll be listening to American Roots Outdoors with Alex Rutledge. We'll be right back after this. Hey, everybody, this is Michael Waddell with Bone Collector, and you're listening to my buddy Alex Rutledge on American Roots Outdoors, man. Big old. Come 
Texas Rays Hunting Products presents American Roots Outdoors with Alex Rutledge. You are listening to Wayne Lock, and that was Thomas Moore clearing his throat. <laughs> so, uh, Thomas, again, I'm telling you, folks, if you, you got to record this, you got to listen to it because if you want to teach your kids and you want to learn how to to call in a duck, he is the master of uh, calling in ducks. I don't know anybody better in my life that I've ever met. I don't even want to pull a duck call in my mouth if I'm anywhere near uh, earshot of Thomas. I don't know about Thomas. master, but it works anyway. <laughs> I'll give it that. Hey, I've seen those uh, ducks pile up on your pictures there. I'm gonna I'm gonna title you as a master on, on this program. That's for sure. But hey, yeah, uh, you know, we were talking about uh, waders when we left off the last segment there, and uh, you know, in Ohio, you know, when the temperatures are you know dropping ten, twenty below zero with the wind chill and the the weather's cold, and you're trying to break through some ice just to get to where you're trying to duck hunt, because there's areas I would go public areas that I would go on along Lake Erie shoreline, you know, you got the wind chill just, you know, killing you. And then you got the cold weather for or the cold temps from the water and that, you know, I was using uh, the, um, you know, like a 200 gram neoprene uh, with a 1600 grams in, in the fee area just to make sure I stayed warm in that. But you brought up a good point. Know your equipment and know what you need for the area that you're going to be in. Because like you said, if, if you, those water gets into those waders and you can't get yourself to stand back up, you need to be able to get those waders off quick. And I always tell everybody that starts duck hunting, and I, I don't know if you do the same thing, but during the summertime, put your waders on, go in your pool, lean over, let that water get in there, and you know, try to stand back up and see how hard it is because you'd be surprised how hard it is. And now you're talking, you know, and that's in the summertime when you got warm water and you know, no danger really around you. Now throw in darkness, cold water, and the danger that that presents. Yeah, it can definitely be dangerous. You, you sure want to know where you're going and what you're getting into, and if you don't, you need to be extremely careful. A walking stick is recommended. If you can find something to kind of poke around ahead of you or <clears throat> shuffle your feet is what I tell the kids. If you don't know where you're going, don't pick your feet up and take big strides. Kind of shuffle your feet mm-hmm. so you're kind of feeling as you're walking so you know what you're stepping off into because – or tripping over. If you duck hunt long enough, you're going to get wet. You're going to step off in a beaver run or a, a, a piece of limb underwater or right. something's going to tangle you up, and you're going to get a wet butt. And it just depends on the day and the situation as to how dangerous that can be. Exactly. A hypothermia can set in real quick. I, and that's actually the first thing I – one of my first hunts I ever went on, I learned very quickly to shuffle your feet because I was just trying to walk through the water. I hit a sunken log. It wasn't a big log, but I hit enough. And when you're – you know, you got the resistance from the water, there is no catching yourself. You know, And, and I, keep your hands out of your pockets. Yes. That's, that's, I'm on the boys all the time. They'll be waiting around with their hands in their pockets. I'm like, boys, get your hands out of their pockets. That's going to get you a wet butt. Right, right. That helps your balance when you got your arms where you can throw them and flail them around. Yep, exactly. Yeah, I was two-hour drive to get my duck spot. I was five minutes in the water and driving back home because I was totally wet. And uh, eh, what a way to ruin it. You know, like you said, if you you got to have a walking stick. Shuffle your feet. Make sure you play it safe. And uh, I always tell everybody, if you're duck hunting, please use a partner. Don't go out by yourself. And I, I keep a change of, of clothes in the truck, everything from socks to boots to all the way to the top. Because if you do get wet and you are in a bad situation and it's cold and you're hurting, you can't at least get dry clothes on. You might not continue the hunt, but mm-hmm. you're at least going to be dry and comfortable. Right. Now, speaking of clothes, what, how do you layer in yours? I mean, what do you recommend? I'm pretty tough when it comes to cold weather. I don't usually dress real heavy. But uh, <clears throat> I usually wear a base layer of, uh, I'm going to name drop here, Omni Wolf Thermal Underwear. Mm-hmm. I get them at Sam's Club. They're cheap, and them's the warmest thermal underwear I've ever had on. I'll wear them and uh, matching Omni Wolf socks 
and uh, it can get down in the single digits. And for my base layer, it doesn't get too cold for that stuff right there. And I'll wear a pair of uh, usually a fleece lined pants, and that's usually all I wear under my waders on the bottom half, and then okay. the top half, usually the omni wool shirt. Uh, just a cotton camouflage T-shirt of some sort, a button-up, and then I've got some uh, Drake Windbreaker fleece jacket, and that pretty much gets me through the winter. Even even traveling the river in single digits, that pretty well gets me. I mean, if it gets gets into single digits, I'll throw a hoodie on underneath that fleece windbreaker. Yeah, now, and that usually covers me. For those that don't know, what's the importance of using wool? Wool is if it's wet. It'll still keep you warm. Cotton, if it gets wet, you're cold and wet. But you can be warm and wool and still be, you know, wet and warm. Mm -hmm. Just the fleece is the same way. That's the good thing about fleece. It's kind of like wool used to be, but it's actually better. Seems to me like it's better anyhow. Okay. And it doesn't hold the water at all. It Water just wicks right through fleece. Right. Yeah, I agree 100% with that, because you could wear a fleece when you're out deer hunting in the rain, and that, what a difference that is from having just, you know, the old days when you were just wearing cotton, you know, like, you know try, try to put on five pair of cotton long sleeve shirts, and then once you got wet, you were just done, sitting there in your stand just shivering to death and being miserable, <laughs> right? And same thing with the kids, you know, if you, again, we're going back to getting maybe kids into this that are wanting to learn how to duck hunt, If and I know you know from experience with your children and the eight kids of, you know, of mine, that if you get them out, and as soon as they get cold, you're done. If they find that it's miserable, they don't want to go again. Uh, you That's find- right. you got to keep them comfortable if you want to keep them coming. Now, I think some guys, I've been around people, and I honestly think that they made their kids uncomfortable so they wouldn't go back. <laughs> I really think that sometimes. But no. <laughs> it, uh, it, it, you got to keep them comfortable. And that's why I've built this, this big hard blind on my 20-foot boat. I've got three heaters in it and a cook stove and everything you need, and I can keep the kids warm. We can close it all up, and it can be cold outside, and it'll still be, you know, 50, 60 degrees in there. I can get down to a button-up shirt when it's cold, cold. Well, yeah, and you got that, uh, you start cooking on that stove and that, that's going to heat the inside of that blind up real quick, too. Oh, I hear ducks already. <laughs> what are you in your backyard? Duck calls going off in the background. <laughs> oh, guy, one of the kids playing with the duck calls. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Oh. Back to the waiters. Yes. Waiters are a little bit. They've changed a little bit since when you used to wear waiters, Wayne. Back then, you probably had those old canvas waiters, and they'd freeze your butt off. Nowadays, the new thing are these breathable waiters. Neoprene. I got a pair of breathable waiters about three or four years ago, I guess, mm-hmm. and neoprene was the cat's meow forever but it was hard to walk in them if you had to do a you know a whole lot of walking now they've come out with these breathable waders and they are the cat's meow yeah that i don't literally like wearing a pair of bibs that you can wait off in the water with they're comfortable okay yeah i always had the uh the uh, cabela's uh neoprene ones which were you know they were they were great they worked you know fantastic at the time and at the time they were the cat's meow but you know you look at stuff now that's out there and you know like with anything else with the hunting industry you just wait a year there's gonna be something bigger and better out there it's constantly evolving yeah which makes it great because it gets more people out there because they're going to be more comfortable and it's lighter it's not you know that you don't have the weight that you used to with the old waders and uh you know you you that's what they said back then you know yeah man were men were men back then because of what they had to wear and endure uh now you don't quite have to have such a long beard to be out there enjoying this but hey we're going to go to a break here and when we get back uh, we're going to start touching base on a couple important things and that's guns ammo and decoys 
Folks, you've been listening to American Roots Outdoors with Alex Rutledge and friends. We'll be right back. Right here, right now, this is Chancey Walters listening to American Roots Outdoors with Alex Rutledge, the Ozark Herd Bull. Passed on down, planted deep in the ground around your heart. So you never got a word. Hi, everybody. This is Alex Rutledge with American Roots Outdoors. How many of you need an attorney? If you're like me, sometimes you do. I go to Zane Prevet at the Prevet Law Office, Willow Springs, Missouri. No case is too big or too small. You can call Zane at 417-469-3535. Zane Prevet at the Brevet Law Office. This is Alex Rutledge, and he is my attorney. Wise Eye presents American Roots Outdoors with Alex Rutledge and friends. That's Thomas Moore just having some more fun teaching us about some duck calling. And, uh, folks, I can't say it enough. Listen to him, record it, and copy it. You're going to be a successful that hunter. Is, <laughs> that is actually ARO's double read that we've come up with right here. Oh, the new one. Oh, yeah, there that's you go. The new one. Pretty good sounding call. Sure is. Sounds even better when you got someone who knows how to use it. <laughs> <laughs> it helps a little bit. <laughs> hey, uh, you know, last week we touched, we started touching a little bit on guns and, you know, what your kids use and, and that. So let's go deep, uh, dive a little deeper in that. And, you know, what is it that you recommend that you you find as an issue? Because you hear pros and cons like, hey, you know, semi-autos, you know, they're, they're no good because they freeze up. You got to have a pump. Other guys say, hey, you know, today's semi-autos, they don't freeze up. You don't have to worry about it. What's your thoughts on that? First of all, you got to find a gun that fits your kid. If you don't find a gun that fits your kid, you're setting them up for failure right out of the chute. Mm-hmm. I've started all my boys with a single shot New England. That's how they all started with the exact same gun. Of course, I've got a slew of them, so I can customize that gun and just hand it down. As they outgrow it, the next one gets it. And that's I've got three different stocks that I've cut off for different ages and, you know, different length of pulls and stuff. Right. And that's how I started them all out. Of course, they've all outgrown, except for the younger boys. They ain't got there yet. But all four of the bigger boys have stepped up into almost an adult size pool now. Okay. Yeah, that's a good point. People don't think about that. You know, you, you can't just buy a, a gun, pull it out of the box and say, here you go. It's going to fit you. Even if it says youth, right. on, youth model on it, because uh, I'm the same way. With uh, two of my boys, I had to, when they got their first gun, I had to cut about an inch off the stock to fit them. And that's right. And just because it's a youth model doesn't mean that it fits, because I actually have about a 13 and 3 eighths inch length of pull myself, which is basically considered a youth mm-hmm. myself. But just because it says youth doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to fit them. You need to measure their length of pull, and you can do that by having them stick their, their arm out and their finger point at the sky at a 90 degree angle and if you measure from the inside bend of their elbow to the uh the first joint on their index finger that's their length of pull and if you can get that gun total length from trigger to the end of the butt stock to fit pretty close to what that measurement is you're going to have a whole lot better results out of your kid oh that's true and, and like you said for adults too because like myself i use the uh winchester uh 20 gauge for rabbit hunting it's the youth model because it's you know when I'm bundled up in my coat and that I like that short stock that the uh, the youth model has 
and I'm able to get that shoulder a lot quicker, especially with those, uh, you know, wascally wabbits, you know, running so fast. But right. uh, duck hunting has got to be, you know, same way. You know, you got to get that gun up quick to get on those ducks. That's right. Uh, having a properly fit gun, that's the way to go. Uh, but do you have any? It's, do you have any uh, opinions on, you know, whether to have the semi-auto versus the pump? Well, once the boys graduated from the single shot, they ended up with a, of course, the Mossberg. Me personally, I'm not going to hate on them, but I, I haven't had a whole lot of good luck out of a Mossberg. But as far as the kid, they're not going to be as hard on them as what I was when I was a teenager and stuff. So Mossberg makes a 510 Bantam is what it's called, and it is the shortest factory length of pull that I have found that you can get for a kid. So they stepped up to that, and it's actually got wedges. As they grow, you can add to the stock oh, from the factory. Good. And then, of course, once they got it and they got where they could pop off a couple shots, then I stepped them up to an automatic. And that automatic, when it's cold outside, does make it easier on them to get more shots off. But be prepared. They're going to burn more powder. That's coming out of your pocketbook. <laughs> so you don't you don't mind using a semi-auto then? You don't have any problems with freezing up like the... Uh, uh... I don't have any trouble out of them. I started shooting Benelli's back probably 15, 17 years ago, something like that. And I shoot probably uh, somewhere between four and six cases of waterfowl loads through mine a year. Mm-hmm. And I don't have any trouble out of a Benelli. I have nothing but praise for them. And that's what the kids have got. They've got my Benellis. I've got some M220 gauges that I've bought. And I buy a, a Boyd's wooden stock to go on that. And I customize that wooden stock. And, of course, when they outgrow it, I can put the factory stock back on it, and the gun's still fine. Right. Now, do you have an, do you uh, have you ever used the adjustable stocks? You know, the synthetic adjustable ones. No, I haven't. I haven't found any that would adjust small enough to fit the kids. So I just went ahead, bought the wooden one, okay. cut it off myself, customized it, and as they outgrew it, I bought a bigger one until they got to fitting. You know, the factory stock. Right. Yeah, it's amazing what a circular saw can do for a gun. Yep, you can work wonders with <laughs> now going uh, sandpaper and a skill saw. Right now, let's let's talk a little bit about what you're putting in your gun. I mean, what do you recommend? Uh, what do you like doing? It depends on the kid. This my smaller boys. I have them start out when they first start out because I don't want to kick them too bad. Is a steel dove load. They make steel dove loads to hunt public land and stuff with, and to reduce the recoil. That's what I give the boys to shoot until they get used to shooting and can handle more recoil. And then I'll step them up to, we've been shooting hypersonic Remingtons since they came out with them. And I'm telling you right now, I shoot the 20 gauge myself when we're hunting timber holes and it hits as hard or if not harder than most 12 gauge loads do. Wow. And that's what we shoot once they've graduated from the lower recoil stuff. Right. Right, right. Now, again, we're going to be talking to new hunters on, you know, with this episode. Now, you said steel shot. Now, there's a reason behind that, you know, using steel shot, correct? Yeah. Well, I mean, well, there's other non-toxic shots. I guess I should say a non-toxic shot, but steel shot is what we shoot because that we like to shoot, and there's a whole lot of guns in my household, and I can't afford bismuth and tungsten and all that other fancy stuff. we got to shoot steel <laughs> shot. Yeah, not when you're having to buy as many boxes as you got to get your kids fitted out with them. <laughs> That's exactly right. I got four boys that are big enough to hunt with me now. So if each one of them takes two boxes of shells with him, plus me a couple boxes, 
do the math on that real quick. And if you burn those up in a day's time, it don't take long to run through in case shells are out here. Well, that sounds like a Saturday of overtime at work that you're going to have to do to replenish. Yep, exactly. <laughs> Hey, uh, I know we're getting ready to wrap up here. Uh, I do want to touch base real quick on uh, the bonus segment. We're going to be talking about uh, decoys, decoy placement, and uh, where to uh, put your boat uh, as, as far as the wind is concerned. So, um, and, and your decoys in that. So, folks, to listen to that and to learn some more, make sure you tune into the bonus segment on your favorite podcast carrier. You type it in. We're on it. All the podcast carriers carry us now. And uh, make sure you subscribe and leave us a review. Uh, Thomas, uh, stick around. We're going to be getting back with that. And folks, like we say here at American Roots, when your roots run deep and strong, there's no reason to fear the wind. So you never got to worry what the wind might do. American Roots. Thank you for joining us for today's American Roots Outdoors Radio with Alex Rutledge. You can find us on Facebook. Look us up on the World Wide Web at AmericanRootsOutdoors.com. We'll be back again next week on this great radio station. Texas Rays Hunting Products presents American Roots Outdoors with Alex Rutledge and friends. If you're listening to this, that means you are on our podcast. We appreciate you listening and tuning into the podcast. Make sure you subscribe. Leave us a review. Make sure you leave your name on the review along with the state that you're at. And I mean your real name, not your username. So this way, if you're pulled for one of our uh, gifts that we give away, we can contact you and you can claim your prize. Uh, Thomas, I believe that was one of uh, ARO, ARO's uh, s- call there that you're using if i'm correct but it's just a it's a it's a one-of-a-kind call ain't it yeah it was yours truly right here there I'm you have me voice calling <laughs> it, folks if you have not heard thomas call with his voice that's exactly what you just heard that was not a duck call excuse me a goose call that was manufactured that was straight from thomas's uh, throat itself and uh that's why if you're going goose hunting you got to call thomas up book him pay him lots of money he'll get you lots of ducks How's yeah, that sound? Give me a call. I'll be right there. Be right there. As long as the money's right, you'll be right there. <laughs> hey, uh, Thomas, let's go right in. Let's just jump right into this here. Now, let's talk decoys because it's hard to, like you say, even if you got the the right spot, the right land, the right camo, and you're doing everything, you know, the calling right, those decoys can really make or break uh, a, a situation there, can it? Absolutely. And I'm a fanatic about my decoys. You ask anybody that hunts with me, and I'll pretty well touch every one before it's all said and done because I want them just right. A decoy is not only a way to get the attention of the bird you're you're hunting or calling to, but it's to put him right exactly where you want him. And, you know, a lot of guys like to shoot at anything 40, 50, 60 yards. They, they're excited because that's in their face, and I'm not that guy. I want them to try to get them as close as we can possibly get them, and I'll I'll do that. I'll move my decoys until I get them just right, and I will point to the spot every day. Ask anybody that hunts with me. I'll point to the spot where they're going to light, and not every time, but about eight to nine times out of ten, I'm pretty well on it hmm. where they're going to light. And what that does is that gets them within 10 yards to 15 yards of us, and that makes for an easy shot. When they're that close and they're five foot off the water, you don't have to rush that shot. You can get up and take your time and put it on that little green head and let him have it. <laughs> yeah, because it takes them a little time if they know something's wrong to get back the speed and the, the direction to start getting out of there. So you do have some time on that. 
That's right. Not only that, you're close enough to see those little black beady eyes when they bug out and think, uh-oh, I have messed up. <laughs> Oops. That's my favorite part. <laughs> yeah, so I, I assume from what you're just saying, you're not one of those guys that just, you know, takes your boat out there, grabs a whole wad of decoys and just chucks them out in the water and then parks his boat. No, I've hunted with guys, and, and, and how I would explain it is if they could get their decoys in the end of their gun barrel and shot them straight up in the air, that's how their decoy spread looks. That's not exactly how ducks set. If you sit and watch ducks at your local park or whatever and see how they act, that ain't how they set. I got, like I said, about 200 on my pond, and I watch them all the time. Mm-hmm. And even though when it comes feeding time, they all go over to the feeder to feed, they actually hang out in the groups in which they're hatched. At my house, they do, and in the wild, they do too. There'll be a group of 10 or 15 over here and a group of 20 over here. Though they may be all in one big group, if you pay attention to that big group, they're really divided into smaller groups. And that's how I always put my spread out, what I call little family groups. Okay. And depending on the scenario and where we are and whether I think we need them, we may hunt from two dozen decoys to six dozen. It just depends on the scenario. Now, I you, mean, if your X marks the spot, you know you're where they want to be. Two dozen's more than enough. Right. Now, are you throwing different types in there? Are you, I mean, again, we're, we're trying no, to teach the beginner that, here. No, so that drives me insane. Right. I say, because this is for Get the beginner, so let's think about that. I don't want these beginners it. to go out there and say, I'm going to buy four dozen mallards, greenheads. <laughs> well, my thing is mixing brands of decoys. I don't care what brand you pick. Stick with that brand. Because when you start mixing brands of decoys, they look like decoys. You okay. know, you understand what I'm saying? Right. At a distance, if you've got a guy who's got some flambeaux and he's got some Dakotas and some avians all mixed together in a spread, they all look different. All the postures, all the paint schemes, everything looks different. And that catches your eye, and they look like decoys. But even the cheapest decoys, if they're all the exact same decoys, they'll catch your eye at a distance because they all look uniform. They all look the same. So that's... That is a major pet peeve of mine. Don't mix brands of decoys. Now, what about mixing species? You throw some, like, wood ducks in with your mallards? Well, you can and... throw some different species out there, too. Mm-hmm. I, I keep uh, primarily mallards, but I'll keep, depending on the time of year, when it gets later in the year like this, I don't keep any wood duck decoys that I put out in my spread anymore because most of our wood ducks are gone by this time of year. But yeah. I'll throw a, a dozen pintails out in a little group off to their self and then i'll have a four or five widgeon or whatever in a kind of little group by their self and and i'll mix them in so it looks like a bunch of little family groups sitting in an area and i'll position them to where i'll put the birds lighting within 10 to 15 yards of us okay another thing that's important is your wind direction if you're hunting a hole that's 60 yards long and 30 yards wide and you've got a south wind you want to go to the south end of that hole and set up because that bird's going to light into the wind, and he's going to light on the far end of that hole. And if you go to the far end of that hole, then you can place your decoys down there where he's going to want to go anyhow and to make for an, you know a closer, easier shot instead of sitting at the opposite end and trying to call him back that way, and he's going to light wide of your decoys every time. Okay. That's, I've seen guys do that, and they wonder why they're lighting wide every time, and I'm just sitting back shaking my head. Like, guys, if you just think about what's going on here, the wind's coming from that direction. He's going to go as far that direction as he can go to light if he possibly can. So it ain't no different than landing an airplane. E- exactly. Exactly. Hey, well, I, you know, one thing I wanted to, I forgot to mention when we were talking about decoys, and this is a hot subject with some hunters. Uh, let's talk about your uh, battery-operated decoys like your mojos and that. 
Do you use yes, those? Sir. What's your thoughts on them? I use swimmers and pulsators. Higdon is right here in Paducah, close to us. So I've got a lot of Higdon swimmers mm-hmm. and uh, Higdon pulsators. Now, your spinning wing decoys, you'll have a lot of guys swear by them. And I used to hunt with several of them. But everybody's got to where they're hunting with about three to four of them. You got to look different than everybody else. Okay. So I've quit hunting with spinning wing decoys. In my opinion, the swimming mo- motion and the splashing of the pulsators and stuff like that is is better for them to notice you for that than the spinning wing decoys because it seemed to me like if you don't mind shooting ducks at sixty yards, you're fine. You know what I'm saying? But right. I want to finish them. I want their feet stuck out, landing gear out, ready to light. And I just can't seem to get them to do that with spinning wing decoys unless they're just new birds. So I just quit putting them in the boat, spinning wing decoys. Okay. Now, I got uh, some a couple decoys that my, well, my wife calls them my my, uh, my motion butt decoys. But, um, you know, the ones where it's butt up and they, they pulsate up and down and that. I mean, do you like those? That's, or? that's what I'm calling a pulsator. Okay. I'm, if I'm not mistaken, that was invented by the guys in Higdon here in Paducah. Oh, back wow. In a, early 90s i'm pretty sure okay i mean it, they call it a pulsator but there's several two or three different companies that are making them now that are pretty much the exact same concept all right now you talked about wind and wind placement and that what are we looking as far as like the sun do you keep that in the back of you the front of you i mean if you can stay in the shadows keep it to the back of you mm-hmm. you're going to be better off that's not always the case where you can do that but anytime you can stay in the shadows that's a plus I tell you, there's so much similarity between duck hunting and turkey hunting. It's amazing. Yeah, I guess it really is, really. Because, you know, you Conditions talk... are usually a lot more comfortable when you're turkey hunting, though. <laughs> yeah. Well, one of the things that, that I mean, you you just got done talking about the decoy placement, you want to place your decoy so you know where the bird's going to come in for that shot. And it's kind of the same way with turkey hunting. You know, you want to put that right. decoy not where you want to shoot the bird, but where you're going to bring the bird over to where you want to shoot. Right, you want his attention on that decoy, not you. Right, exactly, exactly. Hey, we're going to wrap it up right there with that uh, bit of advice. And uh, Thomas, thanks a lot for joining us. And folks, if you've been listening to these last two episodes, that means you have probably got a good amount of knowledge right now to get yourself into a, a Cabela's or a Bass Pro Shop or your local Walmart store and start buying what you need for uh, duck hunting. And again, grab yourself some calls. Check, Be sure to check out our new ARO calls that are going to be coming out this year. Uh, get out there, do some practicing. Like Thomas says, you don't have to be the best. Just be as good as you can be. Make sure you got the right spot. And uh, Thomas, any other last piece of advice you want to give new hunters? I think you pretty well nailed it. If you're going to start waterfowl hunting, you better have a good wife is all I know to tell you. (laughs) Boy, there's a lot of truth in that. (laughs) She better be loving and understanding because it's something that's fixing to get in your veins and it's going to be hard to shake. And she just don't understand why you care about that more than her. Or that's the way she's going to feel. That's the way she's going to feel. We don't care about that more than her, but that's just the way it seems. Yep, yep. Anybody that gets up that time of morning and stands in the cold has got to care about it more than her. (laughs) That's the way she looks at it. So I'm just going to forewarn you all about that. Yeah, get get yourself a, a lot of flowers, get yourself a lot of dinner reservations, and, uh, you know, <laughs> you'll make up for it. Jewelry always works, too. You can't go wrong with jewelry. Yeah. But, or if you're maybe lucky enough that you got a wife that says, hey, shouldn't we be getting up a half hour earlier? Because <laughs> she's going to be right. going with you. That's There you go. That's what you need. Ashley used to go with me all the time until, uh, you know, until we had the babies. But she went with me just about every time I left the house. She would She would go with me. 
That's awesome. And that's the nice thing about duck hunting. It, it can be a family event. I mean, you can get the whole family in a boat, go out there, enjoy the day, and then on the way home, maybe stop and grab yourself some great lunch or, or dinner on the way home and spend more time with the family and talk about it all night long. Yep. But everybody, you've been listening to American Roots Outdoors with Alex Rutledge, Thomas Moore. Again, we pass our condolences on to uh, Mike with the passing of his mother, and uh, we're sure to have Mike back next week, uh, hopefully with Alex too. And again, be sure to leave us a review and subscribe to our podcast. Like we say here at American Roots, when your roots run deep and strong, there's no reason to fear the wind.